All right. <clears throat> well, Pastor made some big promises this morning. He said, uh, come back tonight and hear this next blockbuster message. I'm going to tell you right now that if you're waiting for a blockbuster message from me, you are in the wrong place. If, however, you have come to hear some blockbuster information from the Word of God, I'm hoping and I'm praying that that's what you're looking for. Nothing from me, but may God speak here tonight. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would. Uh, Mark chapter 9. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mark chapter 9. As we continue through this portion of the gospel, it seems, as I'm reading through here, that we're into a series of accounts that are, maybe I'd call it much more pointed in how Jesus is teaching his disciples. In the last week, we saw how some of the disciples were kindly mm, disappointed and perhaps somewhat humbled when the deliverance from a demonic spirit and demonic possession was more than they could accomplish themselves. Now, it is true that over the last several weeks and, and months even, we have seen that the disciples have had some tough lessons, whether it was the tempests on the Sea of Galilee, whether it was, uh, here, there's no food but feed these 5,000 folks. There's been some tough lessons that the disciples have had to really kind of struggle with a little bit. Lessons that showed them that their faith, while it was centered correctly and rightly on Christ, their faith was still in need of much growth and maturing. Dare I say that most of us, if not, well, maybe I should say all of us, still also have a rather imperfect faith, one that God continues to test and to try and to mature through those situations that he ordains or allows in our lives. We have not arrived, as the saying goes, we have not yet a perfect faith. We're still being groomed. We're still being sanctified. We're still being grown in this matter of faith. Now, in our text this evening, Jesus has made it a point to have some time alone with his disciples to guide them into some necessary learning. These are things that, while maybe they're a little difficult at first to understand, will ultimately be the principles of truth that their individual ministries and their missions work will be built upon. So for those taking notes, if you didn't catch it this morning, I have titled the message tonight, Truths to Build Upon. Maybe for some of us it would be Truths to Rebuild Upon. Now a tremendous amount of learning can be gained through observation. And a tremendous amount of learning can be gained through time spent in close association with someone. But Jesus demonstrates in our text that there are times when we have to remove all other obstacles, 
all other activities. We have to remove all other responsibilities. We have to remove all other work so that specific time can be spent for no other purpose than to dig into these deeper truths. Follow along in your Bibles tonight as we read our source text. You're in Mark chapter 9. Find your way to verse number 30. Verse number 30, reading through verse 37. The Bible here says, And they departed thence, and passed through Galilee. And Jesus would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples, and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask him. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace. For by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and said unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name, receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Now, out of this passage tonight, I believe we can glean three things, brief things, hopefully, but three things that I believe we ought also to appropriate, that means to take possession of, three things that we ought to latch on to and hang on to, to build upon as foundations of our own mission of service to our Savior. Those three things I believe that we're looking at tonight are unconditional love, unselfish service, and unrestricted access. Now, how did you get that out of those verses? We're going to find out tonight by the grace of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we look to this message tonight, I'd ask that your Holy Spirit would open up our understanding. Lord, there are times that we read your word, and the words are good, and the words are poignant, and the words are meaningful. But Lord God, there are times that we read it, and then we move on. And we don't take the time necessary to dig into how this really ought to be applied in my own personal life, even today. So God, I'm asking tonight that your Holy Spirit will work wonderfully through your word in each one of us tonight. Open our hearts of understanding that, Lord, when we leave this place, we can go with truths that we can rebuild our lives upon, truths that we can continue to grow upon and use to help others as well. Father, may your will be accomplished here tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Unconditional love. Now, when we speak of unconditional love, there is no real new revelation, I suppose, to be understood from from the first part of our text. We've read it, and we've read it, and we've read it over again. But it's worth our time, though, to consider the context in which these first few verses or first few sentences of this passage take place. Now, remember that aside from Peter, James, and John, 
Why do I say aside from them? Well, because they were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And when they came down from that, the disciples had just been being publicly questioned and perhaps even shamed by the multitudes and by the scribes, the religious leaders, if you will, for their ineffectiveness in the deliverance of this man possessed with a dumb spirit that also did much evil torment to the man. The disciples were being called on the carpet, as it were. Why could you not? Now, I suppose we could surmise that they were at a rather low point suddenly, in both emotionally and spiritual regard. I mean, if you're working for the Lord and all of a sudden you come up to something and you can't do what they're expecting you to do, you can't heal the person, you can't accomplish great things in the name of the Lord, all of a sudden people start questioning you and as we spoke last week, well, I thought you were a Christian. That tends to beat us down. That tends to discourage us and that tends to get us where we just want to tuck the tail and slink away. They were at a low point, emotionally and spiritually, I do surmise. Now, we know and understand that there is no difference. In in these first couple of verses, we know and understand that there is no difference in availability of Jesus' love for anyone, regardless of background or upbringing or any other criteria. We're talking about unconditional love. We know that Jesus loves regardless of who we may be. Galatians chapter 3 tells us that there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 3 also adds, neither is there circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, but Christ is all and in all. Speaking, of course, of those who have by faith accepted Christ as their Savior. So then what of this text Our text says in verse 30, They departed thence and passed through Galilee. He would not that any man should know it, for he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. How do we see the point here of unconditional love? Well, given the condition of the spirit of the disciples, take note of verse 30. Jesus, first of all, would not that any man would know that they're passing through. Why? That doesn't sound right. We know that any time that Jesus passed through, multitudes flocked unto him. But in this verse, Jesus made it so that he could spend time alone with his disciples who needed his personal attention. Jesus made it so that there were not multitudes. There were not distractions. He would not. He wouldn't allow. So this would not means that Jesus determined with purpose that though they were passing through an area in which he and the disciples were widely well recognized, there would not be any distraction by these other individuals or multitudes in search of healing. Why? Because there was a need and a necessity to have this focused time for learning and for encouragement. There was a need and a necessity for time to build up that which the multitudes beat down and discouraged. Verse 31 then goes on to tell us what Jesus was teaching. It says, 
The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. Now, this is not the first time that Jesus has given his disciples this information, the details about what's going to happen to him. But here, if you'll notice, the details have been given in a much more personal way. Specifically, he says, the Son of Man has been given into the hands, and they shall kill him. Now, previously, when he talked about it, and you'll remember when Peter said, No, Lord, let it not be so. He said, Get thee behind me, Satan. You remember that account. Jesus had told him, The Son of Man shall be delivered in him, and he shall be killed. Here, it's more personal. They, the people, they shall kill him. Now, what's the difference? Well, the difference is, remember, remember the condition of these disciples. They had just faced multitudes and faced, call it a failure, I suppose, an inability to deliver the man, and they were beat down. But they weren't killed. And Jesus says, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. Now, he also said, after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. Take note of it, because any time that Jesus spoke of his crucifixion, he also spoke of his resurrection. It is because Jesus loves every man, woman, child so much, that, and without any criteria of qualification or worthiness, that it didn't matter what mankind could or would do to him, he would willingly take all of that abuse, all of that rejection, just like the disciples had tasted. He would willingly take all the public shaming on their behalf, and on top of that, Jesus would willingly take all of God's wrath for man's sin, so that... Mankind could be free from eternal damnation and be reconciled to God and have life eternal with him. That's the unconditional love. These disciples were downbeaten a little bit. These disciples were discouraged. And Jesus said, listen, I've been there. I will be there. I will endure so much more than what you just have. And I will conquer. And so will you. I will raise you up. He said, I love you so much. I'm willing to take all of that. Are you willing to go through some of that to share me with others? You don't have to go through that like I did. Now, I'm, I'm paraphrasing clearly because even the new King James doesn't say all of that. But that's what he's talking about here. They're in a depressed state. And the first thing he tells them that is, the Son of Man was going to be killed, and I will rise again the third day. Now at first, Scripture tells us in verse 32, but they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask him. However, we also know from Scripture that once the Holy Spirit was made available after Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, he then, the Holy Spirit then opened their understanding and the Holy Spirit opens our understanding as well. He was simply letting them know that this is not the end. This is not where you fail and have to just give up. 
Continue on. Love others enough. Take whatever's coming at you. In my name, Jesus said. And just continue on because, as the Bible tells us, joy cometh in the morning. Weeping may endure for a night. Joy cometh in the morning. So the truth to build upon is that no matter the circumstance or personal history, or even no matter how much life and mankind will try to discourage and depress, Jesus Christ has been right where we are, and worse. But he has conquered all of it, and he rose up again the third day. So, friends, as we abide in Christ, as we accept Christ and all that he's done for us and abide in him and let his words abide in us, he will always raise us up regardless of our condition in life. You see, it is Jesus' model of unconditional love that we must appropriate and build our mission of service upon so that we can help others just as Jesus has helped us. Secondly, in this passage, unselfish service. As these disciples and as Jesus continued to pass through Galilee, it would seem that there were times in that travel during which other conversations were happening amongst the twelve and, and perhaps amongst others that may have been with them. And we're given a little bit of insight into that in verses 33 and 34. Now before we read that, let me ask you, have you ever taken a trip with the kids? <laughs> and mom and dad are up there and they're having their conversation between the mom and dad and the kids are in the back and they're doing whatever they're doing, right? And then all of a sudden you start hearing and, and starts escalating and and he starts saying, stop that. And dad says, what are you doing back there? Well, mom and dad may not have heard the conversation, but there were other conversations happening. And I think that's the picture that we see here. As they continue through Galilee, these other conversations were happening because look what the Bible tells us in verse 33. And he, that's Jesus. He came to Capernaum and being in the house, he asked him, what was it? that you disputed among yourselves, by the way? Um. <laughs> Oops. He heard that? Uh-oh. Look at verse 34 says. They held their peace. For by the way, they had disputed amongst themselves who should be the greatest. Oh, you're not going to be the I'm going to be the greatest. You're not going to I'm going to be the greatest. Hey, do you know what we just... Oh, I can't tell you what we just saw. But just remember, Peter says, just remember, we saw some great stuff in the... I don't know what they said. But the Bible tells us they disputed amongst themselves who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus said, "Um, what was it that you were disputing amongst yourselves? Now, it's an interesting reminder of times when, as parents, we, we ask our own children a question directly pointed at an answer that we as mom and dad already know. It's also... We'll just leave that alone because that could go on for hours, but we'll just leave that alone. But it's also a great and gracious reminder to us here in the text that no matter how deep we may try to conceal our own thoughts, Jesus knows all about it before we even recognize that maybe we have been thinking things. In this case, 
the thoughts and the disputings were certainly not edifying to one another. I'm the greatest. You're not going to be the greatest. That's, that doesn't edify anyone. Tries to build themselves up. Once again, though, look what happens. Rather than chiding them for their improper ambitions, Jesus turned the moment into a most valuable lesson on how God would have each of us set our priorities and our ambitions. Look at verse 35. He sat down, called the twelve, and said unto them, If a man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all, and servant of all. Now certainly there is merit and there is value in doing your very best at whatever you are doing. In fact, Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Well, the works that we do aren't going to be very good if we don't do our best at what it is that we're doing. If we don't put great effort into doing the best that we are, then they won't be good. But we are also commanded, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Not to glorify, look at how good I did. Didn't I do a good job? No. Let your work so glorify God. Meaning that there should be no self-serving agenda or in anything that we do or say. And Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life, a ransom for many. You see, this principal truth is tied directly to our first point of an unconditional love as Jesus taught. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, as he taught in John 15, 13. Now, this follows directly after his commandment in John 15 that you love one another as I have loved you. See, Jesus loved us with an unconditional love. We are to love others with an unconditional love. We are to be so selfless in our service that it shows that we are more concerned about others. This thought of laying down our life. Jesus, of course, laid down his life on Calvary so that we could have eternal life. We can't do that for others. So this thought of laying down our life carries the application of directly placing ourselves or purposely submitting ourselves to living out Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. What does Philippians 2 3 say? Well, it says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Do you know what vainglory is? Vainglory is self-exaltation based on one's own performance. Yep, I did that. Look at how beautiful that is. That's vainglory. But the Bible tells us, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. You see, the word that we long to hear from God is not... Well done, thou great and mighty leader of many. That's not at all what we long to hear. 
The word is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Unselfish service to others. The truth to build upon here is to strive for mastery, as the Bible tells us we ought, not, however, for notoriety or greatness. Strive for mastery in unselfish service. You've heard that no one will care how much you know until they know how much you care. It applies so directly. No one cares how much you do until you give up your own ambitions and do something to help. It's the unselfish service that gets take, taken notice of. Which brings us to our third point tonight. Unrestricted access. Okay, now this one gets me. I don't know how did you get this out of this, out of this text. Thank you for asking. Finally, in our text, Jesus also illustrates the manner in which we ought to approach our relationship with him and with God the Father. Read again in our text, verse number 36, the Bible says, And he took a child, that's Jesus, and set the child in the midst of them. And when he had taken the child in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name, receiveth me. And whosoever receive me, receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Boy, that sounds like a whole lot of double-speaking circular reasoning right there. Well, let's just say that I would highly doubt that anyone would ever say that Jesus was childish in how he related to others or to the Father in heaven. Jesus was not childish. Scripture also tells us that when we grow and when we are grown adults that we ought to put away childish Things and thoughts. Okay, so how does this all mesh together? How does it work? Well, God says that we are to grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Jesus said in Matthew 18, 3, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. What a dichotomy. That's a great big $5.39 word. What does it mean? It means it's, it, it just doesn't seem to go together. Well, what I believe Jesus is saying here is that only when our faith becomes as pure and as simple, simply accepting the instruction of God without debate or manipulation, only then when our faith is as pure as the faith of a child do we have the same access to God the Father and all of his benefits, even as a small child has to his own father. Isn't it amazing how children... Okay, yeah, I know that there are some children that just rebel always. But most of the young children especially, when mom and dad say something, well, that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. Dad said it. That's it. What do you mean chocolate milk doesn't come from chocolate cows? Dad said so when I was two years old. I believe it ruined my whole life. <laughs> I've heard those conversations. <laughs> yeah, I might have said that little fib. <clears throat> well, the milk comes from cows, but, you know, the chocolate, well, whatever. Anyway, the point is small children have a very pure and very simple faith in the parents. 
Only when our faith in God becomes so pure and simple as that, accepting the instruction of God without debate, without manipulation, without qualification, then we are as the child in our faith. And God can do great things. In our text, Jesus tells the disciples that whosoever embraces this same simple spirit of pure faith as any one of these young children, and does so believing in who Jesus is, that one receives and can embrace Christ as a personal redeemer. And when we receive Jesus, friends, we have full access, unrestricted access to Jesus and to all the power to overcome that was granted to him by God the Father. But then Jesus goes on to say that by receiving him, there is no distinction between receiving Jesus and receiving God the Father in heaven. There is no distinction. All that Jesus has been given by the Father is given to us. There is no distinction between Jesus and God the Father in terms of receiving all that God has planned even beyond just escaping the deserved wrath for our sin and disobedience. By believing and receiving Christ and the blood atonement, having our sins forgiven, God grants and bestows unrestricted access to His throne of grace. Friends, the only hindrance will that we will experience is when we begin to operate as we see fit. When we begin to operate on our own understanding and justify ourselves by our own desires, then suddenly the Bible says our prayers become hindered. And that access is restricted by us. God does not restrict access, but he says, listen, until your faith becomes as a child, you can't enter into the kingdom. Until your faith becomes as a child, your prayers are going to be hindered. When we begin to really just take God at his word, we have unrestricted access. So as often as we can, when we get discouraged, when we get downtrodden like these disciples were, as often as we can, we ought to spend specific time alone with our Lord to regain our foundation in these three principles. Because the Bible tells us that Christ laid the foundation, and we have to be careful what we build on that foundation. If we lose sight, excuse me, if we lose sight of these three principal foundational truths, then our building is going to be pointless. Our service won't be effective. What are the three truths? First, having unconditional love, just as Jesus did. Second, behaving ourselves with unselfish sacrifice and service. And lastly, returning to the pure and simple faith in Christ so that we have unrestricted access to find help in time of need. Amen. Pastor, would you close the service? And then we grow up. 
and then cynicism seems to set in so easily, doesn't it? Yep. Ought not to be. The more we grow in grace, the more, the more our faith should increase as well. Yes. And all the cynicism should subside completely. Amen. Well, Father, we thank you for this time that we can come together and be in the house of the Lord tonight. We pray that you'll guide and direct and we'll take, take to heart the things that we have heard here today. And, Lord, that you'll... Uh, Bind them up in our hearts so that when the moment is, is right and the, and the moment out of necessity, <clears throat> these things will come to mind and come to our heart. And, Lord, we will act accordingly. Again, Father, it has been good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. And so, Father, we pray that you guide and direct us to go separate ways, that we will continue to serve you throughout this week until we come together again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.